When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When Santa Anna lay siege to the Alamo, and Colonel William Barrett Travis sent his victory or death letter out into the world on February 24, 1836, San Felipe de Austin, in modern-day Austin County, served as the seat of government for the Provisional Government of Texas, and delegates from across Texas were assembling about 50 miles north of it at a place called Washington on the Brazos in present-day Washington County. Their purpose? To determine the course of action Texas would follow. Should they work to remain a part of Mexico and strive for adherence to the Constitution of 1824? Or should they cut ties and set out as a separate entity and test fate? James Fannin, commander of the Texian soldiers at Presidio La Bahia, which was called Fort Defiance during the Revolution, set out to aid the besieged Alamo defenders on February the 26th, but turned back the next day on the 27th and returned to Goliad. The same day that Fannin made the decision not to assist the defenders at the Alamo, February 27th, news of Santa Ana's siege reached the delegates at Washington on the Brazos. That same day, Sam Houston arrived to attend the convention as a delegate after making his treaty with the Cherokees. Now, some of the delegates wanted to strike out and march the relief of the Texians at Bear. Houston argued that they should attend to the business at hand. Houston was persuasive and they opened the convention as planned. On March 1st, the day that the convention began, 32 men from Gonzales, who had been among the first to hear the words in Travis's February the 24th letter, arrived at Bear and successfully entered the Alamo. They are the only known people to have entered the Alamo as reinforcements after the siege began. Richard Ellis, a Virginian by birth and the probable namesake of Ellis County, served as the convention's president. H.S. Kimball served as secretary. Following a resolution to draw up a Declaration of Independence, Ellis appointed a committee made up of George C. Childress, James Gaines, Edward Conrad, Colin McKinney, and Bailey Hardiman to create the document. Childress, a Tennessean who had only been in Texas for about eight months, is credited as the author of the document, and it is highly probable that he arrived at the convention with it already drawn up. The committee presented the Declaration of Independence to the convention on March 2, 1836, and 59 delegates signed the original document. 
What follows are the words of the document that set the course for the future of Texas. Unanimous Declaration of Independence by the Delegates of the People of Texas and General Convention at the Town of Washington on the second day of March, 1836. When a government has ceased to protect the lives, liberty, and property of the people from whom its legitimate powers are derived, and for the advancement of whose happiness it was instituted, and so far from being a guarantee for the enjoyment of their inestimable and inalienable rights, becomes an instrument in the hands of evil, rules for their oppression. When the Federal Republican Constitution of their country, which they have sworn to support, no longer has a substantial existence, and the whole nature of their government has been forcibly changed without their consent from a restricted federative republic composed of sovereign states to a consolidated central military despotism in which every interest is disregarded but that of the army and the priesthood, both the eternal enemies of civil liberty, the ever-ready minions of power, and the usual instruments of tyrants, when, long after the spirit of the Constitution has departed, moderation is at length so far lost by those in power that even the semblance of freedom is removed, and the forms themselves of the Constitution discontinued, and so far from their petitions and remonstrances being regarded, the agents who bear them are thrown into dungeons, and mercenary armies sent forth to force a new government upon them at the point of the bayonet. When, in consequence of such acts of malfeasance and abdication on the part of the government, anarchy prevails, and civil society is dissolved into its original elements, in such a crisis, the first law of nature, the right of self-preservation, the inherent and inalienable right of the people to appeal to the first principles and take their political affairs into their own hands, in extreme cases, enjoins it as a right towards themselves and a sacred obligation to their posterity to abolish such government and create another in its stead calculated to rescue them from impending dangers and to secure their future welfare and happiness. Nations, as well as individuals, are amenable for their acts to the public opinion of mankind. A statement of a part of our grievances is therefore submitted to an impartial world in justification of the hazardous but unavoidable step now taken of severing our political connection with the Mexican people and assuming an independent attitude among the nations of the earth. The Mexican government, by its colonization laws, invited and induced the Anglo-American population of Texas to colonize its wilderness under the pledged faith of a written constitution that they should continue to enjoy their constitutional liberty and republican government to which they had been habituated in the land of their birth, the United States of America. In this expectation, they have been cruelly disappointed inasmuch as the Mexican nation has acquiesced in the late changes made in the government by General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana, who, 
having overturned the Constitution of his country, now offers us the cruel alternative either to abandon our homes acquired by so many privations or submit to the most intolerable of all tyranny, the combined despotism of the sword and the priesthood. It hath sacrificed our welfare to the state of Coila, by which our interests have been continually depressed through a jealous and partial course of legislation, carried on at a far distant seat of government by a hostile majority in an unknown tongue. And this, too, notwithstanding, we have petitioned in the humblest terms for the establishment of a separate state government and have, in accordance with the provisions of the National Constitution, presented to the General Congress a Republican Constitution which was, without just cause, contemptuously rejected. It incarcerated in a dungeon for a long time one of our citizens, for no other cause but a zealous endeavor to procure the acceptance of our Constitution and the establishment of a state government. It has failed and refused to secure on a firm basis the right of trial by jury, that palladium of civil liberty, and only safe guarantee for the life, liberty, and property of the citizen. It has failed to establish any public system of education, although possessed of almost boundless resources, the public domain. And although it is an axiom in political science that, unless a people are educated and enlightened, it is idle to expect the continuance of civil liberty or the capacity for self-government. It has suffered the military commandants stationed among us to exercise arbitrary acts of oppression and tyranny, thus trampling upon the most sacred rights of the citizen and rendering the military superior to the civil power. It is dissolved by force of arms, the State Congress of Coahuila and Texas, and obliged our representatives to fly for their lives from the seat of government, thus depriving us of the fundamental political right of representation. It has demanded the surrender of a number of our citizens and ordered military detachments to seize and carry them into the interior for trial in contempt of the civil authorities and in defiance of the laws and the Constitution. It has made piratical attacks upon our commerce by commissioning foreign desperados and authorizing them to seize our vessels and convey the property of our citizens to far distant ports for confiscation. It denies us the right of worshiping the Almighty according to the dictates of our own conscience by the support of a national religion calculated to promote the temporal interests of its human functionaries rather than the glory of the true and living God. It has demanded us to deliver up our arms, which are essential for our defense, the rightful property of freemen, and formidable only to tyrannical governments. It has invaded our country, both by sea and by land, with intent to lay waste our territory and drive us from our homes, and has now a large mercenary army advancing to carry on against us a war of extermination. It has, through its emissaries, incited the merciless savage with the tomahawk and scalping knife, the massacre, the inhabitants of our defenseless frontiers.
It has been during the whole time of our connection with it. The contemptible sport and victim of successive military revolutions and hath continually exhibited every characteristic of a weak, corrupt, and tyrannical government. These and other grievances were patiently borne by the people of Texas until they reached the point at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. They then took up arms in defense of the national constitution. They appealed to their Mexican brethren for assistance. Their appeal has been made in vain. Though months have elapsed, no sympathetic response has yet been heard from the interior. They are, therefore, forced to the melancholy conclusion that the Mexican people have acquiesced in the destruction of their liberty and the substitution, therefore, of a military despotism, that they are unfit to be free and incapable of self-government. The necessity of self-preservation, therefore, now decrees our eternal political separation. We, therefore, the delegates with plenary powers of the people of Texas, in solemn convention assembled, appealing to a candid world for the necessities of our condition, do hereby resolve and declare that our political connection with the Mexican nation has forever ended and that the people of Texas do now constitute a free, sovereign, an independent republic, and are fully invested with all the rights and attributes which properly belong to independent states, and conscious of the rectitude of our intentions, we fearlessly and confidently commit the issue to the decision of the supreme arbiter of the destinies of nations. Signed by the following, Richard Ellis, President, C.B. Stewart. Thomas Barnett of Austin, James Collinsworth, Edwin Waller, Asa Brigham, J.S.D. Byram of Brazoria, Francisco Ruiz, Antonio Navarro, Jesse B. Badgett of Bear, William D. Lacey, William Menifee of Colorado, James Gaines, M.B. Menard, A.B. Hardin of Liberty, Bailey Hardiman of Matagorda, J.W. Bunton, Thomas J. Gaisley, R.M. Coleman of Mina, Robert Potter, Thomas J. Rusk, Charles S. Taylor, Jonathan S. Roberts of Nacogdoches, Robert Hamilton, Colin McKinney, Albert H. Latimer of Red River, Martin Palmer, W. Clark Jr. of Sabine, John Fisher, Matthew Caldwell of Gonzales, William Motley of Goliad, L. Dezavala of Harrisburg, S. C. Robertson, George C. Childers of Milam, Stephen H. Everett, George W. Smith of Jasper, Elijah Stapp of Jackson, Claiborne West, William B. Skates of Jefferson, E. O. Legrand, S. W. Blount of San Augustine, Sid O. Bennington, W.C. Crawford of Shelby, J. Power, Samuel Houston, David Thomas, Edward Conrad of Refurio, John Turner of San Patricio, B. Griggs of Goodrich, G.W. Barnett, James G. Swisher, Jesse Grimes of Washington.
that's the end of that. I will add that transcription errors were read as they were originally preserved. And that copy comes from the unanimous declaration of independence by the delegates of the people of Texas and the laws of the Republic of Texas in two volumes, published in 1838 in Houston and printed at the office of the Telegraph. And that is the Texas Declaration of Independence, adopted March 2nd, 1836, in Washington on the Brazos, in present-day Washington County. And there were quite a few interesting people there. I think it is of worth to have actually taken the opportunity to read or at least listen to it. That's why I recorded this, a document that's so important to the history of Texas, and that sealed the fate for the future of Texas. Now, if time permits, someday in the future, I will take a closer look at a number of these interesting individuals that were members of the delegation at the convention, several uh, very interesting people, including Sam Houston, Desavala, Navarro, and uh, Hardiman. They had some interesting backgrounds and futures ahead of them. Among them, Jesse Badgett didn't stick around and returned to Arkansas after signing the Declaration. They came from such states as North Carolina, South Carolina, Kentucky. A number were from Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee. Let's see here. Pennsylvania. Lorenzo de Zavala was born in the Yucatan. Richard Ellis was from Virginia. Stephen Hendrickson Everett was from New York. Samuel Rhodes Fisher, who played a part in the Texas Navy, he was from Pennsylvania. Thomas Jefferson Gaisley was from New York. Let's see, M.B. Menard, who played an important role in the history of Galveston. He was from Quebec. And then there was, let's see, James Power was apparently born in Ireland. Jose Francisco Ruiz was from San Antonio. And, um... Let's see, Charles Stanfield Taylor was, it looks like, born in London, England. And the rest appear to have been, like I said, from Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, and uh, throughout the South. And had come through to Texas from various other states. They didn't come, all of them didn't come straight from the place of their birth. A lot of them spent time in southern state, other southern states before moving on. Uh, Alamo soldiers were represented, uh, the municipality of Washington, of San Augustine, San Patricio, Anahuac, Mina, Brazoria, Gonzales, Pecan Point, Milam, Sabine, Shelby, Matagorda, Bastrop, Washington itself, uh, Liberty, Nacogdoches, Colorado, and, uh, yeah, they came from all across Texas, the main municipalities. Some of them lived to ripe old ages, and some died at the Battle of San Jacinto. A number of them had been, like Childers, only there for a few months. Thomas J. Burnett had been there about 13 years. 
There were some, of course, that had been Mexican citizens their entire lives, like Navarro and Ruiz. Unless I'm mistaken, the oldest person to sign the Declaration of Independence of Texas would have been New Jersey-born Colin McKinney, who was born in 1766. He would have been about 70 years old. And it looks like Junius William Motley, originally from Virginia, would have probably been the youngest signer of the Declaration. He would have been born in uh, 1812 which would have put him about 24 years old. Jose Francisco Ruiz was born in, I think, San Antonio in 1783 and would have been about 53 years old, and he had fought in the Gutierrez-McGee expedition with the Republican Army of the North that had been hunted down by Arredondo in 1813 and fought at the Battle of Medina, and had to go on the run, and lived with native tribes on the frontier for a number of years, and was a wanted man. And he was committed to Texas independence. There are a lot of interesting stories, like I said, that we can look at in the future. So, that's going to do it. Thanks to Derek McClendon for providing the theme music to Texas History Lessons. Take care of yourself, take care of each other. Be kind. Adios. Adios.